The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. Our opening prayer for this Sunday is one of my favorite prayers in all of the Book of Common Prayer. It's a phrase that I believe was actually quoted by Shakespeare in one of his plays. To open the Word of God and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Except today's readings seem to be a little bit more about spiritual indigestion to me, don't you think? My indigestion comes from that second reading, you know, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, where he reminds people that if they don't work, they shouldn't eat something my English grandmother was fond of quoting to put the fear of God into me when I was small. You don't work, you don't eat, she would say. Paul was writing in this one of the earliest texts that we have in all of the Christian tradition, these two letters to a community 
in the middle of the first century, Thessalonica, that was very much on the edge, just as the tradition was getting started. And it is a community that is worried about a number of things, but one of the things they have in their belief system that is absolutely central is that Jesus is coming back imminently. The difficulty they have is, we've been waiting, where is he? And in the first letter, you know, one of the subtexts is, uh, you know, some of us have died waiting. What's going to happen to them when Jesus comes back? So Paul has to address that. And the sense that we get from this second letter is that some people have just stopped working. They've just said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to go home. Wait. Oh, by the way, I'm getting hungry. Can you give me some food while I wait? You know? And it's starting to create a problem in the community. Paul's basic answer to them is, you can probably get the sense of it. Jesus is coming, yes, but look busy, you know. Get back to work. Remember that, you know, the day-to-day -day things still need to be attended to. We're not called to sit on our hands. And as he puts it in no stark terms, in a word that my English grandmother was also fond of using, we're not to be busybodies. We're to be at work. We're to, we are to endure, to persevere, is another way of putting it. That is our calling, even in the face of the end times. Our spiritual tradition this time of year takes us into these readings about the end times, in part because it is the end of the church year, also in part because our ancestors in northern Europe also saw the darkening days, the lengthening nights. And deep in our primordial spiritual heritage, you know, are all of those festivals and things that our ancient ancestors used to do this time of year to try to usher in the light to address that deep fear beyond words that maybe the light is going away and it won't come back. Deep darkness and what it causes for us. For our pre-verbal ancestors, of course, for millions of years, the darkness posed what? Danger. Predators would hide in the darkness. They could leap out at us unaware, and we are a species that relies so much on sight and being able to see what is in front of us and what is around us so that we can protect and defend those things that are of greatest value. So that sense of Imminent darkness is a big piece of what drives our tradition this time of year. We light candles. We remember. We gather the children. We gather ourselves around the table. We light a fire.
Jesus is speaking in today's gospel from Luke in a text that was put to paper probably sometime late in the first century. Most scholars think it's a blend of the church remembering what has happened. It's also a blend of what Jesus actually taught. And Jesus is very difficult because someone is saying how beautiful the temple is. And for his contemporaries, the temple was probably the largest structure that most people would see in their lifetimes. And it was at the center of Jewish life, in the center of the only city that many of them knew, in a place and at a time when their tradition was under threat from an occupying empire. And so for someone to sing the praises of the temple was as expected as it was natural. There was something solid and steadfast about it. And if that seems all distant ago, you'll think for a minute if you've been there of Grace Cathedral or the cathedrals of ancient Europe. And think of the sense of permanence that was being devised when they were designed and built over many generations. It's the same idea. Our faith is permanent. Oh God, our help in ages past. You know, the sense of deep foundations, unshakable, unmoving. And Jesus, thank you Jesus so much, says, nope, it's all going to be thrown down. Be ready. Great. How does that make you feel? Like the rug's been pulled out from under you a little bit, maybe. Does me. Jesus, of course, wants to remind his followers to remember what is most important. And that is not the structures around them or the things that seem permanent in this very temporary life that we all inhabit. Jesus wants to get to the truth of our reality, which is that all of us, regardless of our station in life, are haunted by things like the death of loved ones, the anxieties that things may not work out, the terrors of war and insurrections, both close to home and far away. been reminded this year of what it's like to continue to work in the midst of deep political division and uncertainty. All we have to do is turn on the TV to see what it's like to work under the weight and oppression of war. Think of our Ukrainian sisters and brothers at this time. Jesus says, You are not called to put your trust in this beautiful building, but in fact, in your faith, in your hearts, to be bearers of hope, even in the darkness. The author of Luke remembered that only in a couple of generations, the temple was destroyed by the occupying Romans. And Jerusalem itself was effectively wiped off the map by the empire. 
that not only destroyed the heart of Judaism, it destroyed the heart of early Christianity. Both traditions would have to figure out what happens next. Both would be transformed forever as a consequence. But the people who kept the faith, who continued to gather, who continued to pray, who continued to share out of the abundance of the deep tradition of Torah, for us gospel, were the ones who were able to transmit the tradition on, even without the stone structures and the beautiful things. And our history, and Jewish history as well, is replete with these occasions where it seems like there won't be a future, that the end has come. And yet, here we are 2,000 years later, continuing together to keep the faith, to do what we know how to do, no matter what has gone on in our lives or in the lives of the world around us. I think that's what Jesus means when he says endure, persevere. The cost of discipleship is something we will never be able to pay. The cost of following our beloved Christ is something we cannot measure, really. But the good news is, God has promised to be with us always through thick and thin. God sees the end times in our lives and even the end of our lives for each of us and all of us together. We are a species that lives in a finite time, right? Our best hope is that we pass on what we have learned to the next generation and that we may die peacefully but we know that our lives are delimited. God understands this about us and understands our fears and anxieties that arise out of that, but reminds us not to build our faith on our fears, rather on our hopes and on love, which is the only way, Jesus said. We are taught this at this time of year when endings are all around us so that we remember what God is trying to teach us. And that is simply this. There are endings in our lives. There always will be. But for God, for every ending, there is a new beginning. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread 
and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Oh, uh-huh.